and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and today I am talking with my friend, Daniel Dominguez, a.k.a. VXDEDXV, frontman of Farouk, my buddy. What's up, dude? The intro. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And I even nailed your complicated-ass rap name. (laughs) I'd be pretty upset if you didn't. (laughs) Don't get mad. I'm just like, teasing, you're, dude. You're the homie, so like, if you mess it up, I'm gonna be like, hey, 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 come on. I'm gonna be like, who the fuck are you representing? I'm right here, yeah. and that ain't me. I love it, man. I'm I'm glad to be back on with you. It was great to have a conversation with you beforehand to peek to give everybody a peek behind the curtain. And it's, <laughs> yes, it's absolutely. Always, it's like a a rise out of me to hear the the intros you do because it's not like your podcast voice is different from your regular voice, but it is like talking to Hulk Hogan before Mean Gene puts the mic in his face. It's just like, <laughs> there he is. He's on. That's Joe. Let's go. <laughs> I know. I always sound so serious when I do the intro. <laughs> I rock with it, man. It it sets the tone. Oh, dude, I've been so looking forward to this recording for so long. I had an absolute blast talking with you last time. And, and as before... Like, I've just been listening to the shit out of Farouk so much, dude. And um, so excited to know you guys got some new stuff coming out soon. Um, But yeah, so we were talking a little bit um, before we started recording, of course. And um, I brought up, you know, how much I love Stone Cold Stephen Hawking. You started telling me about... um, kind of like the lyrics behind it and i was like oh no 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 stop let's let's do this in the recording um <laughs> yes. seriously that is like one of my favorite songs and i can't believe it wasn't my number one played song on spotify for 2021 because usually when i'll start listening to to heat i'll usually actually start it on stone cold Stephen hawking and then it's on auto repeat of course and then it rolls over and plays the whole album and then so i usually get up listening to that one at least twice that's <laughs> that's an interesting way to do it. <laughs> I think I think there was a there was a version of the album order that had that song going first too. Oh, I love it with um with uh oh it's it's uh owned that's the first one right? Uh, owning it, yeah. Owning it, yeah. I confuse your owns. I'm so sorry. Well, there's three of them. We talk, I think. We I know, right? That, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Okay, yeah. So owning it is first. Which is fun because we start our set with that usually too, and it's just this insane punch in the face for a live crowd. It's so funny. Oh my god, that's gonna be so fucking rad to actually start because it's just so screaming metal, metal, metal right up front. It's just yeah, and Phil, it's funny because Phil's uh, like our guitar player, my partner, like co-conspirator for this whole thing. He's such a chill dude. He's so poker faced all the time. And anytime I can get any reaction out of him, it's, an, it's just like my favorite thing because I know he means it. And I asked him one time, you just want to go no intro, just owning it right off the bat? And he like his eyes got all white. He's all, yeah. And I'm like, you just want to hit him in the face, no warning? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, all right, let's, <laughs> that's enough for me. Just to see him wide-eyed, smiling like evil, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that is a that's a video that I'm gonna have to like stalk through your social media. I know one of your fans has got to have that recorded somewhere online. Just going in, uh, maybe yeah. I gotta catalog that better. I have so much footage that, luckily, since we hadn't been playing, I've been going through and just posting as much as I could. Um, 
like we do have so much footage that we were sitting on that now is out there because we weren't playing shows. Oh, every but, time those pop up on Facebook, I always watch them. I appreciate that big time. We need that. And to know that like we were just your playlist for the past year has been such an honor. Like you're such a creative mind. So to be, to have any of the space in your creative mind is like a big honor. Oh, like dude. Feel like I'm doing something right. <laughs> like it helps with those creative juices. It's like if I'm going for a walk and the purpose of the walk is to brainstorm, you know, like out like like the, the how something's going in a chapter or whatever. It's like I'm going to put on metal and nine out of ten times in the last year it was I'm starting with heat and I'm probably going to listen to it two or three times through like in a row on my hike because it's like. Every song on it, it fucking clicks for me. I, I just love the album so much. And I spent so much of the last episode blowing you over how much I love that album. So I'm going to try and not do a Chris Farley show interview uh, part two awesome. with you. <laughs> hey, Daniel, remember, remember how much I think you're awesome? This is great. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, I mean, I, I was kind of uh, sharing the blow with the band because like, like I, it's not like I did this by myself, you know? And, you know, like this, we have such, we have such a talented group. So they, they really deserve a lot of that uh, praise as well, because they really came through for me so that I could just be my genuine self and perform to the fullest. And Stone Cold Steve Hawking was a song that was one of those that was kind of a group effort. Because though I wrote the guitars for it trying to act like i was phil like i wrote those like trying to impress him um the lyrics were actually inspired by our, our uh, former drummer i call him eball eric he's really into like science and all that uh you know uh carl sagan stuff i love it's, it and so he was talking about how i might get it wrong because i've gotten it wrong before but Something to the effect of at some point the sun is going to like burn out. It's going to like have too much helium and it's going to implode on itself or something. Do you know anything about this? I'm sure you do. You're heck of smart. Yeah, basically as um, so the sun is a giant fusion reactor and it's mostly helium. And when those right. molecules hit together, they fuse and become a different element and it runs all the way up through. The periodic, uh, the like, uh, the periodic table of elements until it gets to iron, and then iron doesn't fuse, and so the sun starts turning into iron, and it dumps more and more energy into it, and then it eventually just goes boom and explodes out. Right. So he was kind of giving me the rundown on that. I, I remember him kind of laying it out for me, and me being like, "Oh, this is dope." And he's like, "Can we write a song about this?" I thought, "Sure." And so one of the things he told me is that when, the, when that happens, that the earth will be completely wiped out and it'll be as if we never existed. Right? Yeah, kind of, because our sun's not quite big enough to where it'll actually boom and explode. It'll turn into a red giant. So where the actual like the outside corona of the sun is going to swell up really big. And it's right. theorized that it'll actually go past the earth's orbit. So we'll actually be inside the sun. Right. And so it's not going to be a good just, day. <laughs> everything is just going to be turned to oblivion. We'll, we'll just not matter anymore. Yes. Literally. Mm -hmm. So the red giant is the giant that appears. Oh, I love it. Lyrics. And so the red giant was the thing that he brought up and how like, it was like, nothing would matter. 
And so I drew a parallel between the sun, as in, you know, the thing that makes me brown, and the sun, as in Jesus, the biblical Jesus. And I tried to draw a parallel between the two and how, in my opinion, and historically, what Christianity has done to a lot of civilizations and a lot of people it just swallows them up and it erases their history like indigenous peoples and stuff like that how christianity has done that but when the sun explodes and expands just like christianity and colonialism expanded when the sun expands it'll be as if none of us ever existed so it was like the erasing properties of colonialism colonial christianity and jesus the sun and the sun as in the big thing in the sky that's going to expand and kill us all one day. Oh, that's incredible, dude. I like as if I couldn't love that song anymore. <laughs> so that there's, that's why there's a lot of biblical references in there. Yeah. It's because, but it's also me choosing the side and saying, Hey, whatever happened up until this last thing happens is really not going to matter. Dude, I love and that. So the part where Ryan from Sworn Vengeance, which is like our dad band, he says, no way to breathe. Your sweat will be vapor. Uh, your blood won't stain. History will be rightfully annulled. It's, it's undoing everything. And then the singing part after that is the, the prophecies, scriptures, and kingdoms will be undone. Justice from the giant that appears to turn Goliath to a speck of sand. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning no matter what terrible things people did in this world, the red giant is the real God, is the real sun that's going to swallow everybody whole. Real bright and lovely song, you know? Dude, real that inspiring. is so fucking rad. That is so metal. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I love it, it so is. much. <laughs> and I had some lines in there that I feel like might be offensive to religious people, but it's just it's the truth that I know based off of history. So I'm not trying to down anybody for whatever their beliefs are, but there's just documented proof of that stuff happening. So it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Well, and that is true. They, they come in and yeah, I, uh, I, I have a real problem with missionaries in a it's way. Gross. It's, it's the, somebody who's like active job is, uh, I'm going to go out and spread my religion around. It's like, ah, uh, I, I don't need You said it right. It's gross. I, I think so too. It's just annoying now, but it was literally dangerous and like justification for murder and erasure of innocent people. Yeah. Well, it still is depending on what parts of the world you're in right now. Yeah. There you go. So you know? it was kind of, recounting that and and drawing a parallel between the two and the old um, refrain you know more people have been killed in the name of god than any other reason that's real so that's what that song lyrically was about the last episode was about me trying to you know impress phil with the guitars but the lyrics were inspired <laughs> by eball saying hey do something sciencey and he's also very not religious so this song was really like the lyrics were to impress him you know and I, I mean, we believe a lot of the same things and there were a lot of my truth and it's not like he fed me very many lines or anything for that one. But it was like, hey, like as a vocalist or a front man or whatever, like the tendency is to write about yourself because that's what you know the best. So you write your own point of view. 
or you write your own struggles because that's what you're so close to. But Farouk is about to be four albums deep. And I feel like after that much music, just writing about myself would be real nasty. That'd be super narcissistic. Like that'd be wild. (laughs) And so I think our second album, I was already starting to draw from other people's experiences and watch movies and tell different kind of stories. Yeah, that was happening in the second album already. I'd already gotten all my me, me, me out in the first album. So by by the second one, I was, I you know had a song about uh, Iron Sheik, the the pro wrestler, and it was kind of a little biography about him. Oh, nice! <laughs> <laughs> and some of the other songs were uh, almost on behalf of other people after seeing what they went through. And Heat has some like that too. So Heat's one of those where it's not just my own perspective there, but a perspective of our drummer. Former drummer. We miss him. We love him. But yeah, him. Really love the story on that album too. Founding member. The story? Yes. Yeah, see, that one's about me and him too when we were kids. No shit? (laughs) Yeah, there's a part. I love it. Uh,. There's a part where it says me and E went to watch them play. Oh, I'm yes. The, I'm talking about the talking about the white boys we used to kick it with in high school. The little rocker kids, like they were the ones that we went to go watch play. They told us stay on the side, stay out the pit, and it'll be okay. It'll be okay. We didn't take that advice. We didn't take that advice. I fucking love it. It makes me think of when I was 15 and I went and saw Pantera and White Zombie. And I was like in the middle of the pit. And like all of a sudden that's when I realized, oh, if you fall down in here, you're probably going to (laughs) die. Like people are like so fucking shoulder to shoulder crushed in this part of the crowd. If you fall (laughs) down, you are going to die. Not paying attention either. (laughs) In our own little world. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that was an, another one was our little high school story because we started going to shows together and uh, one of my first bands was with him too dude I love it I, I love hearing the stories behind the stuff that's what's up well it looks like we're <laughs> back into it like a continuation part one part two it's like this is like Star Wars where it's like you had one to set everything up and now <laughs> Now, 11 months later, here's the next, <laughs> the next time. <laughs> this is our attack of the clones. <laughs> is that what this is? <laughs> Look, it's episode two. <laughs> oh, we need an in-between. The Patreon will be the in-between attack of the clones. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you were telling me before we started recording that you've uh, really gotten into Star Wars. I couldn't be happier for you. Dude, I'm sipping water out of my uh, Grogu mug as we speak. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> yeah, we're we're all into it, and uh, upon your recommendation, we'll we'll likely start uh, Clone Wars this weekend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to let me know what you think of it. I'm sure it's going to be great, and I'll 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 blame you if it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I love I just love the episode structure of it. They're little short episodes. They're like, you know, a little over 20 minutes long. And it's usually three or four of them strung together to make up like one larger storyline. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's usually how it goes. So it's like three to four episode arcs. Like going throughout the whole thing. It's it's really, really good stuff. I, I enjoy the hell out of it. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Lately, I've been like super head over heels for the the Witcher. 
And I've never played wow. any of the video games, but I watched the series on Netflix and then read some of the comic books and then actually picked up like the, the books. It's, it's by a Polish author named uh, Andrew Sapowski. Sapowski? Yeah. And uh, I think he wrote them in like the mid 80s or something like that. Um, so I'm reading a book right now called Blood of Elves, and that's what the second season of the Netflix series was based on that book. And it is fucking fantastic. Just enjoying the hell out of it. I've been seeing everybody get into that. And I I feel like I'm the type that just, I miss so much. I just don't. Like a lot of the big things that everybody gets into, if there's five of those, I might get one. Like my one for last year was Mandalorian. <laughs> That's a good one to pick. And my one for this year was, I mean, if Boba Fett counts, it's Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, partially uh, Euphoria. Oh, I'm yeah. Even, I'm not even into that. I, I, I backed out of it pretty quick. Euphoria is one of those ones where, like, as a parent, this show makes me very, very uncomfortable. And then just watching the decisions that some of those kids make, it makes me so uncomfortable. But the performances in it are so good. And the show is just so fucking wild that yeah like my wife mainly watches it and so i've seen you know maybe like 80 percent of it or something like that like i just yeah. I, like i'll be there like oh no i'm gonna be scrolling through reddit or trying to write or something like that and i'll end up getting yep. sucked into it and watching it that is pretty much our situation as well Except <laughs> i just realized that almost everybody in my close circle is super into it so it's just my dumb ass that's not <laughs> and so like i have javi my bass player partner and on cap sound engineer homie for life he's at the house on one couch with my girl like chilling and i'm on the other couch like on my computer or whatever and they're just like oh check this part out though and i'm like all right cool and then when the show's over, it's like we all play video games or something. Like, <laughs> So I feel like we're having more and more people ending up at our house watching Euphoria with us, but I'm not really watching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cool with it. It's uh, I'll get what I can out of it, but it just it was too much for me to get into. And honestly, like, you know, I don't have a lot of room in my life because pro wrestling is everything. And I need to keep up on I need to keep up on the memes and all the uh, moves between companies and it's really important. All right. So that's, that's just what it is. <laughs> it, that's one of those things that I, I, it's never really clicked for me, but I've always been friends with people who are way into it. And so I've always just kind of like, okay, yeah, there's that thing. But you know, it's, the overlap between like comic book culture and star Wars fans, fans of sci-fi and pro wrestling and gamers is insane. Yeah, it is a big overlap. <laughs> it's like, if it's a Venn diagram, it's almost just a complete circle. Like, it's such a, such an insane overlap. And I feel like if you, I feel like I got into other stuff because I saw the overlap. But I was only into pro wrestling because I've been into it since I was a kid. But then I got into comics or, or like comic book movies and I got into Star Wars because I noticed like, hey, a lot of the pro wrestling fans I know are super into Star Wars. I wonder what this is about, you know? Nice. So <laughs> it, it lent itself the other way. But it's the same thing. Just, you know, epic storytelling, engaging creature, uh, engaging characters and uh, the fight between good and evil. It just happens. It happens to be delivered in a sport type of way 
Yeah. I mean, it's basically like men's soap operas is, is how my friends have always described it to me. Yeah, I, can't, I, I feel like it's, yeah. I mean, would you, it's it's kind of to me like an ant, like a Dragon Ball Z. Uh, like see, that's anime. one of those shows that, that I've never gotten into. Like just a fighting anime. That's basically like. <laughs> okay, it's perfect. <laughs> it's the same thing. Like That might be the easiest, the best description somebody's ever given me to where I've been like, oh, okay, I can get that. A fighting yeah, or, anime. Or, or like X-Men. <laughs> You know what I mean? Or the the Marvel universe, it all revolves around fighting, right? Mm-hmm. You all want to see them all fight. Who's got the powers? A uh, 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 superhero's powers and a villain's powers, and their rivalries, and how some of them were friends and now they're not. And you just want to see them fight because you want to see those matchups. That is pro wrestling. It just delivered slightly differently. It's live action, so it's more difficult because you actually have to be able to get hit in the head every once in a while because it happens on accident. And you actually have to know how to fall. You don't get two takes at it. And your big scene is the promo you're cutting in the middle of the ring. And you don't get two takes at those either, usually. Yeah, I've got a tremendous amount of respect for them as athletes and performers. Because, I mean, what they're doing is taxing on the body. You have to be insanely fit and agile to be able to do that sort of stuff. And then also to remember lines and be able to deliver on them all and like, you know, assume a character and all that, you know, it's, it's, it's huge. And for people to, some people to just immediately disregard it, be like, Oh, it's fake. Who fucking cares? And it's like, Hey man, everybody needs a thing. And if, if there's somebody out there that is real as a movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just another way that you're being entertained by something. Are you, are you watching Iron Man and getting all pissed off because Robert Downey Jr. is not really Tony Stark? I'll tell you (laughs) one thing. Robert Downey Jr. doesn't have hands. Like you could like <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. doesn't have hands, but if you ran up on Ron Simmons and try to swing on him, he would drop you on your head. Okay. You'd die. See, I took You'd that die. like Drax for a second. I'm like, he doesn't have hands. I'm like, oh no, he doesn't even that kind oh. of fight. Yeah. No. Like Well, Drax is a great a great example of that crossover of that of that overlap. Oh, right? Deacon Batista. That's that's how I my intro to that guy. His his character was named Deacon Batista, which had to be some innuendo. <laughs> and he was a silent, like enforcer for this group of dudes, and I think it was led by Reverend Devon of the Dudley Boys. And Devon would kind of do these like testimonies, like churchy testimonies, but they were violent. And he would always say, thou shalt not mess with Brother Devon and Deacon Batista or something like that. And they actually used to pass around a collection plate to the crowd. And people <laughs> would put money in it. And I saw an interview with them, with Devon. And he said, yeah, we just keep that money and buy each other drinks and stuff at the end of the night. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. And that was my intro. To, I will always know Batista as Deacon Batista. And he wore like, you know, the, the he looked like a deacon from a church, except he was a giant. Yeah, he's been killing it with the acting chops too. He's really, really grown. And um, uh, John Cena recently in in this season of Peacemaker was just incredible. See, I gotta watch that. That's one that I'm 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 messing up for missing. Peacemaker is a it's a lot of fun, dude. I mean, it's 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 hard R like it's in in the superhero world. So it's you know it's definitely not the same fare that you're used to seeing. And uh, did you watch uh, The Suicide Squad? It was like basically like a sequel to the 
the one that came out in like 2016 or whatever that was? I didn't. I, the DC world is just so I'm so lost in that. I haven't gotten yeah. anything through that. I mean, if you start off just with Peacemaker, it'll spoil the end of the Suicide Squad a little bit, but <laughs> but it, it's not necessary viewing. You don't have to watch the Suicide Squad to be able to enjoy Peacemaker and know what's going on because they summarize it perfectly, like in the intro leading up to the start of the show. Crazy that but, Cena is is this now. Dude, he fucking killed it in that. Like he displayed an incredible amount of range. He's he was funny. He tugged at your heartstrings. Um, like you, you, there were times where you hated him, and other times where like you just generally genuinely love this guy. And his amount of his character development because it really starts off. You're not supposed to like him at the beginning of it, especially with how sui- the Suicide Squad ends. Because he kind of turns out to be one of the bad guys in that. And so going into Peacemaker, we we're all kind of like, all right, well, how's this going to go? And through an incredible amount of character development and his backstory and the surrounding cast of characters around him that also had uh, just tremendous character development through the series, it just ended up being one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. Interesting. Like, I loved it. it. It did everything for me. Like, the the heroics in it were top-notch. It had an incredible amount of heart, and it was funny as hell. So. What's crazy is you pretty much, like, I'm going to bring it back to wrestling. You described his whole character development in his time at WWE. <laughs> nice. Straight up. Straight up, he started off, well, he started off as, like, a plucky young rookie, but nobody paid attention to that because the first gimmick he took on was this, like, fake battle rapper guy. <laughs> who his promos were always in rhyme form and it was always toilet humor. This was, I want to say 2006 or seven. So, you know, uh, socially acceptable, things were socially acceptably different, you know? Yeah, I gotcha. And his, he always, he wore a big basketball shirt and long jorts and a big chain around his neck. And he talked in this fake New York accent. And basically his promos were battle raps against whoever he was going to wrestle next. And he was a bad guy. He was, but people learned to love him because he was just so funny, so hilarious. He became the ultimate good guy through my whole little brother's childhood. He's my little brother's version of Hulk Hogan, like, you know, for the 80s babies who grew up worshiping Hogan, you know, mm-hmm. say your prayers, eat your vitamins. John Cena had the C Nation, hustle, loyalty, respect. And my little brother was all about it when he was little. And then John Cena became so powerful that he became a bad guy again to a lot of wrestling fans because it was like, all right, we're tired of you. And just when everybody got so tired of him, he went to Hollywood and is killing it over there now. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, yeah, Peacemaker, like he blew me away in the Suicide Squad and then Peacemaker was just the perfect follow up to it to where I was like, I absolutely love this guy. I want to see everything he's going to be, you know, if, if he's going to be in something, it's going to immediately pique my interest. It's insanity that, like, <laughs> these pro wrestling guys become pop culture. I'm telling you, you guys are, like, you pop culture people that aren't into pro wrestling are missing out on the ground floor of this. This is like the uh, watching, uh, you know, minor league baseball. Oh, and then, of course, like, the, the biggest stars. example of that's with The Rock. I mean, if that guy mm-hmm. were to run for president, he might fucking win. Yeah, and I loved his show. I can't wait for the next season. The Young Rock. Oh, I never saw any of that. Was it good? It's good. It's really good. <laughs> well, for me, like anything wrestling that 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 hits the normal people's uh, radar, I'm all about it. I'm so happy. 
because I'm less weird because it's now, you know, on NBC. <laughs> yeah, you know it, I mean? it's like, that's my thing. And then now it's in front of everybody. I'm okay with it, man. I'm not going to be stingy with it. It's brought, it's brought me out of a lot of dark times. And because I've like followed what pro wrestling is for years, like it's cool to look back and see their depictions of the characters that I grew up watching. So it was cool to see their depiction of Andre the Giant and Iron Sheik and Randy Macho Man Savage and the Wild Samoans. Like that's they're part of that series as as his childhood in his childhood. So it's Oh, I'm that's so cool. Funny. Yeah, it is really cool. But so I think I take a different thing from it than most people because I'm like, oh my God, that's Macho Man, you know? Or, <laughs> yeah, because oh, you remember it. Elizabeth. Yeah, or I mean, you could just tell like they, they got a guy with a bald head and a mustache with an accent that's got to be Iron Sheik. And then you hear him talk more and they're like, yeah, Sheik. And I'm like, yay, it's Sheik, you know? <laughs> it's just like, I know that guy, but I don't really know him, but I feel like I do. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah the, the rocks movies are just always hits 100 percent. and cena was the next version of that in pro wrestling they even had a feud over it at wrestlemania like five or six years ago or more oh no shit <laughs> yeah they did where cena was like you went off to hollywood and never came back and forgot your roots and the rock was like what are you talking about and then they fought about it that was the thing <laughs> that's they awesome make it part of, they make it part of storyline and it's hilarious because then cena goes to hollywood and the rock's cousin roman reigns is saying the same thing about cena oh and that's perfect it. <laughs> it, it's it's great and honestly like i feel like they've been building to the rock going up against his cousin at some point <laughs> who is gonna be the next guy that goes roman reigns will be the next guy that goes to hollywood in five or six years Hmm. I, at this point, I wouldn't put it past them because, I mean, they've had three, like, really breakout stars among them, you know, with The Rock and, and Batista and then John Cena. Yeah. And, I mean, they've been trying to do that. Vince has been trying to do that since the mid-90s and probably before that. But there were always box office flops, like uh, No Holds Barred was like. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I vaguely remember that movie. <laughs> right. So that that one didn't quite work out for the Hulkster and company. Um but after that like in the I want to say the late 90s they started doing movies and the early 2000s every WWE star had some straight to DVD, straight to blockbuster type movie. Like every single one of those guys has been in like four or five. Uh have you heard of The Marine? Mm, I don't think so. There's like seven of them probably. <laughs> and they're basically like, I feel like they are the modern version of like a Jean-Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal movie where it's like, you know, it's going to be kind of a B movie, but Hey, Randy Orton's in it. Or Hey, the Miz is in this one. Or Hey, John Cena is the Marine. <laughs> and so like you go to watch your, you know, it's, was there really any good Steven Seagal movies? I think some of his early ones were pretty good. Like, um, but then, uh, what was it? Uh, Out for Justice. Were they actually good or were they just like at the time they were good? It was it was good did. for a product of its time. 
Okay. Is what I would say. So but like, like some of the early Seagal movies were pretty good, but then they progressively got more and more ridiculous to where now it's like he's just going around just looking like this fat guy with a dyed wig. And, right. and like he does like kung fu moves from sitting in a chair. And it's like, get the fuck oh, out of here. <laughs> okay. So maybe Seagal is a bad example, but like your, your Van Damme or your Arnold movies, you know, where it's like if you saw an Arnold movie – after a while, you know what's going to happen. Oh yeah, yeah. Those were the legit move- ones back then, you know. So, so they make like they were making like baby versions of those with a lot of the WWE stars in like I want to say maybe from 2002 till present till present day, but they're probably doing a lot less now because unless they have their hands in these Marvel movies or something, and I don't know <laughs> about it. If they're sending like <clears throat> their talent goes back and forth, you know. I mean, but, I, I suppose if they if if one of them's got the acting chops, you know, they've immediately got the look to be in a superhero movie if it's a big Jack person. Exactly. Well, a lot of these guys, too, like, I don't think non-fans know that, like, some of that stuff that they do in the ring or in the promos or whatever is off the cuff. So they're not just having acting chops, but a lot of them are, like, improv masters. And they know their character and they know their situation and that's all they're given sometimes. And some days during a wrestling show, they might find out the day of who their opponent is. And then it's like, okay, you have a promo at this time, go to this area and cut your promo. You're facing so-and-so. And sometimes they have notes. Sometimes they don't. They don't get all their lines written for them like every episodic TV show. There's a, a female wrestler. I think her name's Jade Cargill, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had put some pictures online of her cosplaying as Storm, the one of the Perfect. X-Men characters. And yeah, the internet mm-hmm. like loved that. And she she really nailed the look. And it's like, well, yeah. if you've got the acting chops to go with it, you've definitely got the look to play Storm. She will in a few years, but she's she's like a rookie this year. And she's incredibly physically talented. And we love her in this house. We're a Jade Cargill house for sure. But as as like a talent in the ring and everything, she's still in her rookie year, so she does she does rookie things from time to time, you know. Okay. <laughs> but like, it doesn't matter. She's still amazing. It's just that like, it's like, ooh, in five years you're gonna run the world. But because she's so physically talented and cool, they put her straight from the training ground onto TV, and just right to the deep end for her. Yeah, sink or swim. <laughs> yeah. And like, I know a lot of like the wrestling purists, they don't like her. Because she's she's a little clumsy in the ring here and there. But we love Jade. We don't care. <laughs> nice. She's dope. <laughs> she's dope. And she's going to be like, I'll tell you who was also like, not loved by wrestling fans was Dwayne The Rock Johnson when he started. <laughs> I remember being in the high, I think it was. God damn was was he wrestling back in like the late nineties? Yeah. Okay. Then yeah, it was definitely high school. And they hated him. It was definitely high school with people doing like the people's elbow and asking if they can smell what the rocks cooking and shit. I I remember all that. Okay, so that was before that though. This he, I think he debuted in like. Let me hit my calendar in my head really quick. Maybe ninety six, ninety five. And he didn't debut as The Rock. He debuted as Rocky Maivia. 
And no shit. He came, and he came out. If you if you're in front of your Google machine right now, Google Rocky Maivia and look at this guy that that debuted. <laughs> and they debuted him as like a uh, third generation wrestler, you know, young upstart. Look at him. He's a blue chip athlete. Look at him go. And the crowd at that time was not having it. They didn't want some pretty boy that was all buff. Like, they didn't care who his dad was or who his grandpa was. I need a quieter keyboard. Right yeah, I'm like, I need a quieter yeah. keyboard. <laughs> all, the, all the listeners, if we haven't lost you on the wrestling and comic book talk, now's the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is something that I know literally nothing about, so... <laughs> you know you're gonna get a wrestling clinic. You thought you're gonna talk to me about my music or something? Screw that. <laughs> no. Oh, I, I've still got questions to ask you about that. Uh, I no, knew you opened for Soulfly them. recently. So. Uh, yeah, that was cool. So pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Funny thing about Soulfly. So uh, the Soul Man Rocky Johnson was the Rock's dad. <laughs> and Superfly Jimmy Snuka is his uncle, so Soulfly kind of had to see how I just brought it back to wrestling. <laughs> Did you find a picture of Rocky Maivia? Now I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm like bouncing around the internet. It's like I'm finding articles. It's like, just show me a picture. Images, Google images. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's worth a Google, folks. <laughs> yes. That so is a lot of tassels. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and see, pro wrestling, the landscape of it at this time, they were just getting out of the era of the tassel-y bright colors and everything. And what and is up with his hair? <laughs> that I mean, this is what, you know. I, wrestling was really behind the times, too, like with their fashion. So the mullet stayed alive. The mullet stayed alive a lot longer in pro wrestling than anywhere else. <laughs> this is the most hilarious picture of the rock I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> With the bright blue. He's got like this weird, it looks like a, a circular checkerboard like around his neck and shoulders. And there's like feathers hanging off the edges and like different shades of blue streamers hanging off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like they wanted to highlight, like, you know, his his island side, his Samoan side. Oh, my God. And like Samoan dynasty. Remember like the they, old school pictures of Justin Timberlake where it looks like he's got ramen noodle hair? Yeah. It looks like he's got hair like that, but it's black. <laughs> kind of does. <laughs> it's, it's a rough look. <laughs> and they, they hated him. The crowd, oh, I remember boy. watching him debut and was like, hey, this guy's could be good and just seeing the crowd just turn on him they brought him in as like this good guy like just good the goodest of the good guys you know came out smiling and everything and the crowd hated him they would chant die rocky die <laughs> and then wow. ron simmons ron simmons aka farouk took him under his wing and brought him into his faction uh the nation of domination and that's when rocky became the rock and that's where he transformed and started doing the eyebrow and all that stuff. <laughs> nice. Good call for him. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till the next season of Young Rock where he talks about his Rocky Maivia face because that has to be a thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
That is such an embarrassing look. I can't believe he hasn't used some of his millions to scrub this shit from the internet. Rocky, Rocky. <laughs> I think a lot from him and his transformations and everything. And it's like, yeah, you may have like an embarrassing phase, but if it gets you to where you end up being happy with yourself, then fuck it. Yeah, like, no, it's it was just part, it was of, part of your growth. Yep. Yeah. And so... Oh, yeah. He, he seems to not take himself too seriously either, which is dope. Oh, yeah, 100%. And also, it's like, you know, I can sit and laugh at this all I want. He's fucking multimillionaire who's, like, loved and, like, adored around the world. Yeah. And <laughs> so he can... Great at pretty much everything I've seen him do. Yeah, right? He just seems like a really, really solid dude, too. Just like a, like a really good guy. Yeah. I, he's made a fan out of me. Like, a lot of wrestling fans, when somebody gets too famous... Like the wrestling purists, you know, like you have your Star Wars purists that like hate hate so many things about the product and <laughs> criticize it more than they tell, say how much they enjoy it. Yeah, a hundred percent. A lot, a lot of them really turned on him. But over the past few years, I've come to respect him a lot more than I used to, and and seeing the grand scheme of things and understanding that breaking out of breaking into and then out of pro wrestling to do everything is such an accomplishment and you got to really work your ass off and be special. And he's cut a he's done a couple of appearances back at uh, WWE, like on certain events that have been so cool and so like real. I always tell people pro wrestling is the realest thing you can watch on TV because they all know it's a show and they're still out there working their asses off. And you will see somebody get injured on TV at a wrestling show, but you'll never see that in your like regular episodic TV show, whatever it is. Yeah, that is, so, that's gotta be true because like if, if somebody, you know, obviously there's probably some things that they would script in, you know, like, oh, you're supposed to act like you're injured here, but they've, they've got to get like real legit injuries that then they've got to improv around. We see it all the time. There, the the ins and outs of the actual art and skill of pro wrestling is crazy, and a lot of times when you see them bleed, they're bleeding because they're cutting themselves in a safe way, and they know how to secretly cut their heads to bleed at a certain time. There's not usually not blood packets or props. That's crazy. That is wild. That's dedication to the performance. And just uh, maybe a month ago, we were watching a pay-per-view, and one of the wrestlers had to go through a table. They went through it. You know, they, they, they did their thing. But the guy put his arm down too early, and he hyperextended his whole elbow. His elbow broke oh. in half. Like, it went the other direction. Oh. He was down. He was down and out. And this was during a tag team championship match on a pay-per-view live. And you see them talking to each other. You see the ref go check on him. You see him, you see the ref go in and talk to the guys in the ring. And then all of a sudden, a little sequence happens with the guys in the ring. One, two, three, match over, titles change because the guy who broke his arm, their team lost. Wow. Yeah. I remember, like, I freaked out when I was like, that guy broke his elbow, and we rewound it, and my and Aaron saw it. And she was like, oh my God, he broke uh, his elbow. I, I can't handle, like, I'll laugh my ass off yeah. at videos of people like getting hurt and stuff. But as soon as I'm seeing like <laughs> limbs sticking out at like impossible yeah. angles, it turns my stomach. I can't do it. 
slips and falls and all that are hilarious, but injuries not so funny. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Like, yeah. like anytime like there's footage of like an MMA match where like someone will go for that leg kick and then they're bringing their leg back and it's got oh. that like spaghetti cooked spaghetti noodle oh, motion to it and then they don't know it's broken yet and then they stand on it and then the thing turns over. It looks like a child is like put on like rain boots. You know, and they're like, and, just get their yeah. foot in the beginning, the top of the boot, and they're walking around. Oh, it's not right. And they fall down. The adrenaline leaves their body. Reality hits Ugh. them. It's ridiculous. Like, I, I feel like physically sick to my stomach now, just like describing it. <laughs> Good times, man. I can't, I can't handle that sort of stuff. It's <laughs> it's so gnarly. This is the best tangent ever to start with me. I pulled you <laughs> into a pro wrestling tangent. <laughs> Yeah, you did. You managed to keep us on track with pro wrestling for quite a while. <laughs> Dude, I can still go. But nobody I bet you can. I know you're a huge fan. <laughs> nobody watched Dark Side of the Ring, I think, in the group. I've been trying to get people to watch it. Oh, I yeah. It was fun. like uh, Pop Culture Leftovers like loves that. That I, I've, oh, right. I haven't watched any of it, but they're always talking about episodes of it and how good that that series is. The way they put that together, you don't need prior knowledge. And I think that's why a lot of people are, like, are hesitant to get into into it is because like it feels like you need like some kind of prerequisite. And there's a lot of things that where you just don't. You can just enjoy it. You do have to have the attitude to be okay with just not understanding everything that's going on. It's like watching a Star Wars movie in the middle. Like starting – say you started episode four – like an hour in. <laughs> yeah, you're you like, know? What's going on here? <laughs> but you never watch any other movie. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd still enjoy it eventually once you got over that whole like, okay, so these guys are fighting these guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> why is this kid but, and his grandpa on like this weird space road trip? <laughs> oh my gosh! Just hear people's commentary over stuff because that's what ends up happening. Like. Uh, next weekend, I'm having some friends over to watch the pay-per-view, and some of them aren't wrestling fans. And, and one of them said, yeah, I'm not going to know anything going on. I'm like, it's cool. It's a show. It's a live-action show. Just enjoy the stunts. <laughs> you know? Enjoy the drama. <laughs> nice. Dark Side of the Ring is the one. And Dark Side is, is, to me, kind of presented for people who may not have prior knowledge. Yeah, that that'd probably be the the thing that would hook me in more. Like I could see myself watching that show. I've just yeah. I have a finite amount of time to to like sit and watch stuff, and so my list of things to watch is just it's it's copious. Yo, that might be the one one that you could actually listen to. Oh, that would make sense. Because I I that would be one of my go tos to just listen to. Yeah, I'd try that because I could just throw that on like it's a podcast one day and just like do work and listen to it interviews yeah i mean that's a fucking great idea stuff but yeah that's that's my life is listening to stuff yeah right (laughs) hey did you watch this i'm like nah but i listened to it i listened to the first three star wars movies the first time (laughs) that's one you got to sit and watch though i found out the hard way because i'm like i don't remember this when i watched them again (laughs) yeah you're missing out on a lot of good stuff (laughs) that's what she looks like (laughs) (laughs) okay dude so i've got to ask like how cool was it opening for soulfly Yo, the first of all, the honor to get chosen for something like that because I, I don't know, like for a band at the level that we're at, 
you, it's tough because like you do get offered shows. People do want you to play shows, but sometimes they're not, I don't want to sound like ungrateful or like a diva or anything, but like the stuff you get asked for versus the stuff you ask to be on, the quality is a lot different. Like you get asked to play a ton of house parties, house shows, little weekday shows that for a band that's been alive for 10 years full of, you know, 30 plus year olds with responsibilities is not really alluring to us anymore. We've done all that. Mm -hmm. We did that in our early twenties when we started the band. So it's nice to be wanted and to be called, but we end up saying no, because it's just like, yo, like we don't have the time or energy but this one, this was our first show back in two years. And with a new drummer who's a fill-in, who is the one that drummed on our new album. And he's awesome. And just for Numbskull and Nolan at Rad to ask us to play this was a, just a really big compliment because it's kind of like the local promoters telling you, hey, we know that you've put in the time and you have what it takes and you're going to do great here. Because that show doesn't need locals to draw people in. They need locals to showcase at that point. So being chosen for that was just like alone to get to be on the same stage and be chosen was just an honor in itself. Cause it's kind of like a recognition. We didn't have to go politic. We didn't have to sell tickets. We didn't have to make people vote or all the other things that certain bands have to do sometimes for opportunities. We just got called. Hey, do you guys have time for this? And I sent it to the guys, and they said yes immediately. <laughs> we all recognize right? the band that Soulfly is. And <clears throat> I was familiar with their music and their weight, but it didn't really hit me until Dan from Heroes of Noise like messaged me. And I was like, dang, like, I didn't realize that they were that, they meant that much to that many people. I just thought like, Oh, well in the metal scene, they're a big deal. They're historic, you know, they're trailblazers. Yeah. And so I didn't realize that like how far it had reached until like seeing people's reaction to us sharing it on Facebook and getting hit up, getting texted. And I was like, Oh shoot. Like I thought this was just a big deal to me. <laughs> it was a big deal to a lot of people. <laughs> I was so excited for you guys when I saw that. I was like, oh, my God. Because, like, um, like uh, Max Cavalera's other band, Sepultura, oh, the, yeah. the very first, like, cassette tape that I bought way back in the day, like, before I owned a CD player, was their album Chaos AD. And, fuck it, I've loved, I've loved that band ever since. And then Soulfly immediately loved them right off the bat. The, their percussion is like so unique sounding and I mean, his voice is just amazing. And yeah, dude, Sepultura, Soulfly, both are so high up, like on my ranking of, of metal. And, and they've just been with me for fuck at this point, well over half my life. And yeah. so, yeah, when I saw that, I was like, that is fucking amazing. And what an incredible we, show that must've been to see live. We were very honored. It was cool. We had so much fun. It was so good to be back on stage. We worked our asses off for a new set, played two new songs that aren't out yet, like, and had to squeeze it all into 25 minutes. That was our set time. So we had to make some calls on the fly and feel out the crowd. I had a conversation during our set with the sound guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
like at the end, I, I want to see if I can find it, but there's a part where we finish a song or we're about to finish a song. And I hear the sound guy say, minutes. And I'm like, how many more minutes? He said, three more. And I say, good. We finished the song. And then I move us into the next song immediately, which is like a, a minute long song. Set. And it was crazy. But th- it was an insane turnout. I don't know if you've seen much of the video. I don't, I don't know if I posted it on our page or where I posted it. I need to do more. I think there was a but, video posted that was you guys playing Stone Cold Stephen Hawking. Yeah, there's a piece of that one. And I, I have some more that uh, the drummer's dad put put up that I screen recorded that I need to put out there. The Hatebreed cover, I have that one that I need to put out. But the the turnout was insane, for especially for a Thursday in Fresno. Like, it was lying around the door it was crazy and we got a lot of good feedback and to my surprise there's a lot of people there to see us hell yeah they were wearing our merchandise and i'm i'm back at the merch table at the bar next to the venue that's connected to the venue so i'm not really seeing anything i'm just chilling at the merch table trying to sell shirts and stuff and when i went to go collect our piece of the the door the person running the door said, I saw a lot of people wearing your guys' merchandise and straight up tell me, hey, I'm here to see Farouk today. And I'm like, what? Like, you're not here to see Soulfly? We're here to see Soulfly. We just get to play. (laughs) We just get to have a set beforehand. But like, it was so dope. Just as good as it could have gone. We got a sweetheart set time at 810 on a Thursday. You can't ask for more, honestly. Like, it was really nice. And then Soulfy played at freaking uh, 10.30, I think. And played till about midnight. Oh, nice. And they kept the house rocking the whole time. Oh, that's fucking incredible. That we is saw, so incredible, dude. We, we did shifts at the merch table. And hear the yeah and the crowd singing along and everything and at the same time see people walking out all bloody or bruised up or missing a shirt or like, <laughs> <laughs> just the great mix of like fun and danger that you <laughs> that you only get at a metal show oh i've reached the age where anytime i would go to like see live music or something like that i mean it's been years and years since i have but like i will be happily viewing it from a safe distance away yeah so we're at the merch table and seeing people get walked out or people stumbling out or what have you and for a few songs we'd we'd switch off so me and philly went to go watch a good amount of their set from as far back as possible and just (laughs) just enjoying the moment at we didn't get to meet anybody we didn't get to talk to anybody in the band but that's kind of standard issue for bands of our level It's, it's like you can go try to meet one of them. You can go try to talk to them. But in my experience, like, unless you can help them out with something, it's not really a good idea to do. Yeah, because, I mean, they got a show they're trying to get ready for, and it kind of makes sense. You're just going to show up like, hi, I'm a stranger who's excited to meet you. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's basically all you could do, but... Though I was familiar with their music and understood where they came from and what they've done, like I didn't know any of them by name, really. And I didn't like, 
I don't know. I didn't feel like it was appropriate for me to go up and just start talking to them because they have shit to do. Yeah, so exactly. If I would see them, if I would see them, I'd be like, hey, glad you guys came out. It's an honor. Keep it moving. And I don't know if a lot of people understand that that's what they should be doing. <laughs> no, probably <laughs> because, not. <laughs> yeah. And they're super cool when they're taking pictures with fans and they talk to anybody back there, you know, when they're off of their tour bus, you know, but like, yeah. So like people are like, oh, did you get to get pictures? And I'm like, no, we didn't. We were doing their thing. They were doing their thing. We we're doing our thing. They're doing their thing. So I didn't, I didn't really get to chill like in the backstage area at all because I was at the merch table earning my keep, you know? Yeah. It's a job, right? So, so don't don't let them ever say that this vocalist doesn't do anything. They always say that about all oh, the front men don't do nothing. Just show up. <laughs> I think you were saying last time you usually are getting stuck at the merch table, right? It's it's kind of I've I've gladly taken that responsibility because it, it is true. If I didn't do that, like I have no equipment to carry really. I don't even bring my own mics. My <laughs> my bass player Javi brings me a mic. Nice. <laughs> So like, I don't even like do that. So like, if I got to carry three merch bins, you know, it's not a big deal versus gigantic cabinets and speakers and all that stuff. Yeah. Or a drum kit. I drummed for a band for a while back in like 2005. That shit sucked. (laughs) Yeah. I bet that's a lot of heavy equipment to move around. (laughs) Uh, Drum kit. Yeah. And my drum kit was garbage too. So it was even worse. (laughs) I wanted to play drums when I was in middle school. They gave, me a, to get dan- they gave me a trombone oh. instead. It was really disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> they did do that to a lot of kids, didn't they? I didn't realize that. They're like, nobody wanted to play the oboe. Nobody showed up for the oboe. You showed up, <laughs> you showed up for a, a saxophone or a drum. Right? They're like, they're like, no, we need three more French horn people, yeah. and you're small, so you have to play the French horn. <laughs> I showed up for trumpet. I came, I went there for a trumpet. I got a trumpet when I was in band in high school and in, in, I'm sorry, in junior high and in uh, elementary, but I did want a drum with all my heart. A trumpet is way fucking cooler than a trombone. Trombone was heavy as fuck, dude. I had to carry that thing back and forth to school every day. It was heavy That's as like shit. Difficult too. Really difficult. And I was the only one. I was the only one. So in like the, that seventh grade, the first concert of the year, like each individual section had to stand up and like do their solo of, I think it was like old McDonald or some shit like that. <laughs> and so when I stood up, I'm the only trombone player and the music teacher calls me the lone bone. Yeah. <laughs> the lone bone. And so then like me being me, I like nod and like smile like, yeah. And so then I got a laugh. And then I do like the shittiest rendition of old McDonald on a trombone all by myself. And I was like, this fucking sucks. I'm quitting immediately. (laughs) The lone bone. Joe, the lone bone starts. (laughs) Oh, geez. this This was in junior high? This was in, that had to have been like fifth grade because I think it was fifth grade grade where like band started. And then, so I, I think I might've stuck it out for maybe that whole year. And then the next year I didn't do it. And then my, my buddy Josh like stayed in the band and in seventh grade, the, it was a different band teacher and he was the high school 
jazz band teacher. And so Josh had been talking to him and I think his his name was Mr. Clark. And Mr. Clark was telling Josh like, oh, well, you know, when when you're in high school next year, if you go out for the jazz band, you know, I need somebody to to play bass guitar. And Josh was like, oh, Joe knows how to read bass treble or Joe knows how to read it was a bass clef notes or whatever. And, and so then Josh came up to me, he's like, Hey, so you wouldn't have to actually be in band this year, but he wants you to come to lessons all year and he's going to teach you to play bass guitar so that next year you can be the bass guitarist in the jazz band. And so I stuck with it long enough to learn how to play bass guitar. And then I was like, I don't like playing jazz, but thank you for teaching me to play bass. And then I never joined the (laughs) jazz band. (laughs) Dang. Yeah, it's kind of cold. That's, that's harsh. <laughs> so then, all through like high school and stuff, I was like, I was like reading tablature and stuff, and like teaching myself how to play like Rage Against the Machine bass lines and shit like that. The coolest bass, I think, Rage bass lines were the first ones I learned too. Oh yeah, like bomb track and stuff. It's so much fun. Yeah, the intro, <laughs> the intro to bomb track, or is it the intro to ba- Bulls on Parade? Uh, intro to bomb tracks really good. That doom 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 doom. Yeah. What's the other one? Doom 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 doom. Oh, which song is that? Which one is that? Yeah, I'm picking up the melody. I'm just not placing the song. Yes. Calm like a bomb. That sounds right. Fast forward through the whole song in my head to the chorus. That's I have to do that shit too. I think that's a phenomenon in your brain called chunking, where it like chunking it takes like chunks of data and puts them together. That's why it's like if you just tell somebody to start reciting like the alphabet from the middle, like they'll pause for a sec because they got to kind of do the beginning part to get to that letter, and then the rest of it'll just <laughs> flow out because the information Fuck has man. been chunked together in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you're like what fucking song is this and you had to literally like go through the song and fast forward in your head to get to that point in the chorus yep. because you can't just start there because your brain doesn't know how to fill in that data it has to start at its logical starting point that it memorized it in your mind now forget that i'm gonna learn how to pre-chunk <laughs> pre-chunk <laughs> yeah <laughs> Now that I know that I'm chunking, I don't want to chunk anymore. <laughs> it's a pre-chunk. That could have been my other middle school nickname besides the Lone Bone. Pre-chunk. Oh man, last year when we when we when we had our talk, I was pre-chunk. I'm full chunk now. <laughs> You're full chunk. <laughs> yeah, I've gone up like two pant sizes, the whole shirt size. Oh, you've been living comfortably, my friend. <laughs> I learned how to. I think I got a lower register in my voice from it. I think too. Oh, nice. <laughs> Your metal just got that much more metal. <laughs> it was, man. Oh, I love it. Yeah, dude, I've been, oh, God, I've been like in the fall last year, I was playing like a lot of disc golf with my son. And so I was out walking like almost every day. And so I was just dropping weight like crazy. And then it got awesome. bitter, frigid, cold here. And I feel like I just got fat again. And I haven't even stepped on the scale all winter just because I don't want to be depressed about how much I gained back. Yeah, I, I was thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to get in shape before this next show and really, really put it on them. And that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, ended up catching, I ended up catching a really nasty head cold. Oh, that in, sucks. In December, like around Christmas. <clears throat> And it lasted through Christmas and New Year. It wasn't like it never was COVID. Oh, like, that's good. When I started, I had gotten my booster and like the next day I started feeling sick. And then 
I got a full-blown head cold. I tested negative home test, tested negative the day after Christmas from the hospital, and never had any other symptoms, but this ridiculous head cold lasted almost a month. I still have the leftover cough from it. Yeah, it was gnarly. So, like, that really put me down. So, like, the time I would have been getting it together, I was, like, could barely breathe. And I actually just got well enough to do the show. Like, I was still hacking up a lung at practice all the way up to the show. Oh, damn. Yeah, it was super brutal. I threw up in my shirt one day. Oh, no. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it was like a, it was like a, I was like coughing and then it ended up being more than I bargained for. And I was like, oh, okay, throw up in my shirt. Like, in the middle of a song. Like, I'm doing the vocal. And oh, no. And putting, putting my mouth, like, putting my shirt over my nose so I can cough. And then yelling some more and then, you know, coughing some more into my shirt. And one of those, sh- I, ch- I basically chunked in my shirt, I guess. <laughs> and so, you know, the shirt came off and got thrown to the side and I put a hoodie on. <laughs> Just was wearing a hoodie. <laughs> no shirt under. <laughs> That's rough, dude. That fucking sucks. See, all this to do that Soulfly gig, man. This is the type of stuff that people don't know what goes into it for us. <laughs> sacrificing for the craft yeah man that shirt had to get washed twice <laughs> gotta respect the hustle dude well it was it was a, one of my favorites i would have thrown it away if it was just a throwaway shirt but it was one that i really liked so <laughs> <laughs> it's the farouk fwo shirt that i put oh nice <laughs> uh, i got i got a farouk shirt it is it's got like a big red skull on it it's fucking dope so that's the red giant. That's the red giant shirt. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Is that the is that the one with the quote on it? Or I don't know. It if just says Farouk. Okay. There's an I don't know if I so it's just a one sided shirt. I must be in the wash right now. I was just digging through my closet. I'm like, what is it right here? Yeah, it's it's just the one side. It's got like the, the whole front of it's taken up with like this massive red skull, and I'm pretty sure it says Farouk down the side like the side front yeah that makes sense yeah it's a fucking awesome shirt there was a version of that we went on tour with but in the back it said the giant that appears would turn life to a speck of sand oh fuck that'd be even better and then it said like heat it said like heat 2018 9 or something or 9 2018 or something like that so it looked like a biblical quote oh that's fucking dope yeah I forgot about that I, I guess I didn't did I not put that one up on the online store? I, I probably just missed it. I just saw that one and I was like, awesome design. <laughs> it, it'd be across the back. I, I know like I did so many different variants I put up on that site that it's possible that I didn't put the back because the back makes the shirt more expensive and I want people to not have to pay for stuff so much. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I get that. And then I got my Farouk hat also. And then that, I think you threw in some like stickers and a little pin with that too. And so I've been wearing that Farouk pin on this. Right um, on. Um, so yeah, my, my room that I work in, like that is also like my office, it gets just cold as shit in here. I don't know. Like for the longest time I was like, is this room haunted? Like, why is it five <laughs> nice. degrees colder in this room than everywhere else? And so I kept noticing that it was like, if I'd wear a hoodie all day, it'd be like, I'd be almost be too hot. And so it was like one of those perfect scenarios where like, I need a fucking vest, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
That like, must just the time be has a, come. an Iowa thing. There's, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, I need a vest. <laughs> it might have been the first time in my life that I said it. And so anyway, I got into searching it. I was like, I'm going to be picky. I'm going to get one that I really want. And so I got one where it's like, it's like Sherpa fleece, like double layer inside and out. So it like, gen- it almost feels like genuine Muppet skin. Right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and now I've got my Farouk pin. It's black, and I got that white Farouk pin <laughs> right up on the top left side of it. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> for the man, for the one man on earth that ever said, "I need a vest." <laughs> every time my wife says, says that, like she's cold or something like that, and I'm wearing my vest, I'll like pet the front of it. And I'm like, "You need a sick fucking vest." <laughs> <laughs> That that company that you bought that from is so happy you're the one person that bought it from. <laughs> There's one guy telling another guy, see, I told you someone would buy it. <laughs> Dude, it is like the most comfortable, warm thing that I own. It's so fucking rad. <laughs> like if it had sleeves, it would be too much because the thing is like so furry. I mean, it's like a short-haired Chewbacca vest, basically. Yes. <laughs> it's fucking rad, it. though. Well, I'm glad that made that made it to you, man. Like we packed that with love here in this office. Like Aaron helped me out, so we had a whole bunch of hats that people bought. And she was like, "What about for Joe?" And I'm like, "Throw some stuff in there for her." So she pulled out. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> I was so, so excited. I opened that box up in my car, sitting right at the post office. I was like, "It's my Farouk hat," and I was yeah. like, "There's fucking pin and stickers." <laughs> so excited, yeah, man. <laughs> So you could feel like you stopped by our merch table. That's what would have happened if you would have been at our merch table. Excellent. You always leave with a little more than you bargained for. Dude, somebody put a $10 bill in our sticker box at the show. I was so like stoked on that. I felt the love. Nice. We have like a box. Of course, it's a WWE Money in the Bank like lunch box <laughs> that looks like the briefcase that they all fight for once a year. And all of our stickers are in it, and people ask how much. And I say, well, if you want to leave something, we appreciate it, but just take take a sticker if you're going to use it, you know? So people drop dollars in there and stuff, and I came back from our set, and there was a 10 in there. I was like, damn, Fresno. <laughs> Bonus. <laughs> either somebody didn't know their denominations, they were too drunk, or they really liked this, but I'll, either way, I'll take it. That's fucking awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah. That show was great, man. We're still beaming over it. I felt like I was annoying like the first few days off of that show. All I wanted to do was talk about it and relive it and <laughs> post as much about it as possible. That's so cool. Now we got another one coming up. Oh, when's that? It's in late March. It's in it's in a venue here at home that we used to play coming up called the uh, Chinatown Youth Center. But like the venue is now kind of a special event type of place. So it's like, like sometimes the venue get used and sometimes the venue gets moved. Okay. I gotcha. But it, it's around, if it, it doesn't end up there, it'll end up being around there. And it's just a, a really cool special place it's like the shoot i don't even know how to describe it other than like it's like hallowed ground for the local punk rock and hardcore scene to me oh that that makes it even better then it's they've been open since 2007 and 
they were the place where a lot of our locals from 2007 to when the A shut down in 2017, I think, or 18, it was where all of us played most of our shows. And if a bigger underground band didn't want to play at a bar, they would end up there. So there were bands that you would never think, there were bands that would play like these giant fests in Europe and these, you know, they'd play Chain Reaction when they were in LA or the Glass House or, you know, these bigger and nicer venues of House of Blues, they'd be playing those kind of shows in other cities. They would be playing the Chinatown Youth Center in Fresno. And it's like one unisex bathroom, no seating, there's a quarter pipe on the side of the mosh pit, a tiny <laughs> stage, no backstage, no green room, no none of that. Barely a sound system sometimes, but like the magic is in that room. And a lot of, if you look up any of our early footage from maybe 2011 to 2016, chances are it's in that room. It's in that place. That's awesome. And so the guy who kept that place alive hit us up for a show. So we're going to go play somewhere around there, pay homage to the place. Oh, very cool. Do you guys have any yeah. uh, like plans to go out on tour at any point? We've been kicking around the idea. Um, what's really nice, what was nice is before the pandemic, like we didn't have to like scrape and I didn't have to book the last tour we were on, we were asked to be support for a band. And the band we were supposed to go support treated us more like equals than support. Um, they were called Decayer. They're from Arizona. We went out with them in 2019, but we didn't have to book that tour. We didn't have to scrape anything by. So it was really nice. I feel spoiled now. So like, if we have to do another tour, I don't want to book it. I was booking all the other ones up until then. <laughs> it's, and booking a tour is gnarly, dude. Oh, I can it's only so imagine. Difficult. It's it's especially like I don't know, like if you're not already known, it's such an uphill battle, and you have to just be able to sometimes take a show for no pay if it means that you'll be able to play in front of people. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially when you're starting out, because you're, you're really going for that exposure more than anything else, right? Right, yeah. But the, the route we had been doing, we've made a name for ourselves a little bit in, in a lot of those cities and a lot of those areas, like around Idaho, we have a little built-in fan base out there. And in Spokane, Washington, we have a little built-in fan base. And up in Sacramento, we have so much support up there. And in Oregon, we have so much support over there because our label mates and foes are up there in Oregon. So we have all these little spots now we could stop, but I don't want to book another toured man. <laughs> so, have to hit up. so basically I'm going to have to hit up my friends up in those areas and see who's running. And sometimes if they're nice enough, they'll let us join their run if they need another band. So we might, we might not do a tour like we usually do like a two week thing in the summer. I don't know if that's going to be very realistic for us right now, but I know that when we get our new drummer all worked into everything this summer, that, that we're going to be at least doing little shots. Like we used to do weekend shots. Uh, we do a circle to Vegas and back. We'd play like 
play at home one day, play in Vegas another day, play in Bakersfield another day, or play in LA another day. One of those. Do a little triangle, come back home on like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I know we need to go back to Tijuana and play in TJ again in Mexico. So we have to run down there and then we need to run to Oregon for sure because that's been asked for a lot. And I know that our first show, we have to play out of town. The first time we leave town has to be in Sacramento. We owe them that over there because they've been just so kind to us. And the bookers and bands from up there have been hitting us up to play for the past year. And we just haven't been able to. So no tour plans, but definitely we're going to be running, doing shots. We have to. We, we, we've gotten so much love over the past couple of years. And we want to go give that love back, you know? Oh, I'm so excited to hear that. So as soon as we start getting stuff booked and confirmed, like it's, it's on and cracking. You'll see it. We'll be on there. I need to be better about my social networking when it comes to music stuff. I do a whole lot more than people even know I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) I think the social media stuff is rough. Like I, I suck with the social media stuff when it comes to Starkcast. It's just, I don't know. You ever feel like when you post something, it's like going into the grocery store and just saying something out loud. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or you know what I mean? Just going to a McDonald's while everybody's trying to order or everybody's eating and just saying, hey, uh, putting out a new song tomorrow. <laughs> I feel like that's what posting on Facebook is like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I get that, dude. Yeah, I, I'm terrible about posting for Startcast, and and even more terrible about posting with um, uh, my book. I become death. I, I don't even I have a commercial that I run at the end of every episode. I fucking should. <laughs> Hi, this is Joe Stark saying write, buy my book. What are you talking about? <laughs> write me a copy. I'll record it for you tonight. <laughs> Write, write me some copy to read. I'll do the read for you. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the new project's coming along really well. Um, I actually spent like three hours after work yesterday working on it and wrapped up a chapter that I'd been ugh, kicking back and forth for probably like over a month. I just wasn't getting it the way I wanted it. And then, I don't know, inspiration struck. <laughs> and so it was like, turned off the work computer, immediately turned on my, my laptop that I write and podcast <laughs> off of, and I don't know, just banged out that chapter. Had fucking right post-it on. notes with like sentences on them, like spread all over my dresser. <laughs> the the similarities between book writing and like songwriting is so cool to me. Now, what sort of process do you use with, with writing a song then? D- post-its all over the place yeah (laughs) turn turn off the music turn off the work computer turn on the music computer (laughs) that's all those things you described you know i have (laughs) that's funny in my notes app in my phone i have like four probably four or five things that are just descriptions of songs or uh opening lines or something like that It, it i i talked to you about that last time how it's just so all over the place depending on what I'm doing mm-hmm. um, with Farouk, like the instrumentals are usually made first, but there's a few songs on this new album that 
I completely conceptualized first. Like wrote down in my notes app, this kind of part, then this kind of part, then this kind of thing, then something that sounds like this. And then read the notes and then played it out on my hands, like on the guitar. Fulfilled it to learn and, and play better than I do. Which as we speak, they're starting to get to doing. That's so cool. I'm so excited. Oh, dude, I, I can't wait to hear you guys' new stuff. Like, I'm going to be so excited when that fucking drops. <laughs> You'll be getting yeah. that that little notification of one more sale. <laughs> hey, uh, maybe we could talk uh, offline about um, maybe you helping me with some music video concepts. Oh, dude, because if you, anytime running, you want my I, help with anything, dude, I am there for you. <laughs> well, let's. Let's talk about a little bit about it because this is something I've been sharing with my loved ones and annoying the shit out of my girl with probably. She's so supportive that she's probably not annoyed, but I, I'm so self-conscious, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I gotcha. <laughs> so um, when we last spoke, I was going to set up or start shooting, I think. That's the, right. Yeah, you were talking about a music video. Yeah, so we shot that. That was going to be our lead single for the new album. Unfortunately, things happened and we weren't able to record the entire album. We shot and I edited an entire music video to the rough version of the song and sent it to the label. And the label said, awesome, where's the whole album? And then I sent him the demos of all the songs. He's like, this is great. Let's get it going. I'm like, hold on. These are the demos. But Javi had put together such good demos that he thought they were the finals. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, because he's that good. And the guy, Phil, is that good that they're their demo recordings and their demo performance. Like (laughs) the label had thought that we were done. (laughs) And I told them, no, we want to do the finals. We want to get this drummer in. And that took a lot longer than we expected. But that video is the first part of, of a three part series I'm doing with three videos. So it's, they're all their own little story, but they all tie together. And I have them kind of conceptualized, but I don't, I've never storyboarded anything or written stuff out. So to like bounce off of you with that would be so cool. Cause you literally story written, you know? <laughs> yeah, no dude. So I, I, I'd be, be happy and honored to help you in any way that you wanted. And you'll get to hear the song, three of the songs early. Oh, that, that is an incredible bonus. <laughs> <laughs> it's a loan bonus. <laughs> the loan bonus. <laughs> <laughs> the the trio bonus though. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm looking at like the 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 MOV file of the the music video that we shot and I, and I edited uh, last year, right now, and it just reminded me, like that I you had been on my mind because you're a storyteller, and so I feel like you'd help me better conceptualize these things and better organize all these ideas I have. So as soon as we get, as soon as we hang up on these people listening, we could talk about that some more. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I'm just going to continually insult the listener. (laughs) (laughs) I'm turning heel. I'm turning heel on the start cast today. Listen, listen, international audience. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. You don't want to. You don't want to talk about pro wrestling, oh. dude. I'm for listen, sure there's people listen. listening to this that are like, finally, they're talking about wrestling. 
No, there's no nobody that ever said that but me. <laughs> oh, dude, for sure. Like uh, my buddy Wayne, semi dry chicken. He's fucking. He's stoked that we talked so much wrestling in this podcast. I guarantee okay, it. Cool. Then, then if Wayne has a podcast, I'm on that next. He does. He has a wrestling podcast. Okay, then we're gonna argue about Cody Rhodes then. <laughs> Because if there's one thing a wrestling fan can do at this moment right now, it's it's argue about Cody Rhodes, the American Nightmare. I think his podcast is called Podcast Championship Wrestling. <laughs> oh, this have, is awesome. I'd have to I, I'd have to double check that. Wayne Wayne, forgive me if I got that wrong. <laughs> a terrible. Wayne, memory forgive sometimes. him if he got it wrong. But we're gonna have to hit him with a 3D one day, Wayne. That's me to you. <laughs> Dude, you'd love Wayne. You guys could talk about, like wrestling nonstop, he's, I bet. He's already my buddy. We're going <laughs> to either agree or fight about Cody Rhodes. That's all there is to it. <laughs> but the rest of you not wanting to hear wrestling, what me and, me and Joe are going to talk about for these Farouk videos is none of your business until it comes out. Please watch it and share it, okay? But until then... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's PCW Podcast Championship Wrestling. That's Wayne's podcast. PC Doug. PC Doug. PC Doug. <laughs> okay. Only the wrestling fans will get that reference. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, it's just a good chant. I was down. <laughs> um, okay, so one of the things that we didn't get into the last time you were on. And, and I told you in the chat that I definitely wanted to ask you about this time. So in your rap name, VXDEDXV, the V and the X stand for like vegan and straight edge, right? Yes. Okay. So like what what was like kind of your your journey into like basically those lifestyles? I mean, were they concurrent? Were you, were you straight edge at one point and then went vegan? Did they both happen at the same time? Like kind of how did that happen? Awesome. Um, so you're totally going to edit out all the wrestling and heel turn talk and we'll get to actual, the interview, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is just the fun of start cast. It's silly. It goes from tangent to tangent. And then eventually I might ask a serious question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I knew you were going to get to questions and I'm just derailing you and you're like not cussing me out, like the, getting a Nobel peace prize. So let's talk about this. Oh, I could never <laughs> cuss you out. Are you kidding? <laughs> oh, I'll push you there. <laughs> I get uh, 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 who I really want to get to cuss me out is Steve. <laughs> got Steve Hudson, and he knows it too. So he just doesn't let he doesn't play into it. God, I love that guy. I, it was just a Man. treat every time I listen to him and Dan talk on Heroes and Noise. It's it's that's one of those yeah. podcasts I know I can put on. And I'm going to have a lot of last laughs listening to it. And I'm going to be in a better mood at the end of the show than I was at the beginning. Honestly, those guys are just a, both great. I had a thought a couple months ago, but if I expressed every thought and idea I had when I did, I would never be able to sleep. But <laughs> I want, you crossed my mind because I thought like, yo, me and Joe should start a, a like fan podcast for Heroes of Noise called the Sidekicks of Noise. Where we just talk about what they talked about, <laughs> but like highlighted it. It's like the after show. <laughs> yeah. But the after after show, because it's like, oh, yeah. And then they talked about this show. Well, I didn't watch it, but I liked when Steve said this. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's too good. One of those guys. My bad. Okay. So veganism and straight edge. <laughs> 
the most important things in my life that made me who I am today. Uh, of course, I found out about straight edge through the hardcore scene. And to okay. call back to that. This was something that I had heard about a long time ago. So yeah, yeah. continue. Because like, okay, um, I had heard about like straight edge in the hardcore scene. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that I had heard it was they were wanting to be like, you know, like off culture or whatever. But the culture at that time was everybody being drunk and stoned out and stuff. So it's like, well, if we're going to be different, then we have to be straight edge. Is, is yeah. that kind of like what that was? More or less. Uh the hardcore punk scene um, back in it's in uh, the straight edge when and straight edge was kind of made and excuse me, was part rebellion, but a lot. And it always has been and always will be at its core political. So a lot of activism would come out of the hardcore scene. And a lot of the things that you see happening where culture becomes more inclusive and safer for all types of people and more united has come from the hardcore punk rock scene or underground music in general. Like a lot of that starts there. So the straight edge thing from what I saw and read, because I wasn't around, I was like a, a tadpole when, you know, straight edge was conceived, but it was a form of rebellion against the current scene they were in. And a lot of the messaging early on was, well, how could I do anything special? How can I, how can I get ahead in this world that's out to get me if I'm taking the same poisons that our parents that we rebel against and our government officials, they feed these to us. So in order to really fight the government and fight in politics and in order to win, you can't be all drugged up. You can't be all high out of your mind. You can't be drunk. Like I got better things to do than this and it was almost like the, the sobriety was weaponized over the years and that's kind of what brought me into veganism too is is this the same scene that was so political was also firing for animal rights and a lot of the bands that i grew up listening to were either straight edge or vegan straight edge as as like part of their messaging as part of their political thing that they were on so, uh, you know, being a young straight edge dude in uh, 2000, 2001, I was listening to bands like Path of Resistance from New York. Path of Resistance is a vegan straight edge band. And there were other bands like that, that I was like, well, what's this vegan thing about? And, you know, it was kind of like one led into the other, but they're, they're their own thing. But vegan straight edge itself, the VX or the XVX or all that is a different kind of commitment where it's like you're, you're committing to both, you know? And the veganism thing for me when I decided to go vegan was because I learned from the hardcore kids that I was talking about in the song, the story, those kids were vegan straight edge kids that were at shows. And I had learned from them that you don't need to eat meat to like live healthy. You don't need to have any animal products to live healthy and to be fine. So it made me question why I was doing it. And it was just for convenience and pleasure. And that wasn't a good enough reason for me. So I changed so I could look myself in the mirror. And those same kids told me, showed me that you can still have fun and be reckless as hell without drugs <laughs> because they're also straight edge kids 
who were stage diving and moshing and doing all kinds of crazy teenager stuff like the rest of us were doing. So uh, to go back to the straight edge thing, I decided to be straight edge to be a better example to my little brother, who at the time was maybe three, four years old. And I basically wanted to be for him something that I never got as a kid, which was a sober, positive real, uh, male role model who I could depend on. I didn't have a ton of those as a kid. And a lot of them were cool, but they always had these times of being drunk or being high where they were not trustworthy or irresponsible. And once I became an older brother, like it was a big responsibility to me. So I decided to be straight edge so I could be a good example to him. And so he could always depend on me. And then the veganism thing just kind of fell into it's a personal thing. But the straight edge thing was more to be somebody that my loved ones could lean on and know that they can always trust to get the unadulterated me, whether that's crazy and jumping around on tangents or just really emotional because I have nothing blocking those emotions. Yeah, that's, a, so that's just, fantastic. So serious turn there, yeah. <laughs> no, I love it, dude, because I remember – I don't know why it didn't come up, probably because we were going from tangent to tangent and I was too busy just telling you how awesome you were <laughs> in the last episode. <laughs> well, we were talking a lot of Farouk, and that's the thing is that VXDEDXV existed for years before Farouk. Yeah, dude, that is – I mean, I've – like I've had days where – uh, like I've eaten like vegetarian all day and like probably at like the healthiest point in my life, which was probably around, I don't know, 2016 or so is where I would have lots of days where I would eat, you know, no meat or anything like that. Like supper would just be like a, like a bunch of veggies mixed together, just cooked in a wok with, um, with some, uh, coconut oil and salt and pepper. Right. And it'd just be just giant plate, <laughs> just these cooked veggies. Yep. And it would just be, oh, it was so good. And and it would be really filling. And I just felt great, you know, and that's when I was rock climbing a lot. And that was like when I did like the the hardest, most advanced climbs I'd ever done. And then eventually it was, I think I, I think I just got lazy with it and it was just, okay, it's going to take me all this prep time to cut up all these veggies or... You know, I can just slide back into my old track of bullshit, you know, eating, you know, basically junk food and and then add that in with a couple injuries where then I wasn't training and stuff anymore. And then it was fully fell off that track. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for some like it, it's a diet change. So you have to change your habits. But once it becomes a lifestyle change or a moral thing, like for me, I went vegan for like because I didn't feel good about myself and what I was contributing to, it was actually making me sad. And so like I changed for different reasons. So I was so unhealthy as a new vegan. <laughs> I went vegetarian <laughs> for a year first before I went vegan, but I still like, you know, I was like, uh, let's see, 18 when I went vegetarian back in 2003, 2004, I went vegan. And wow, so this know, is like vegan. over half your life now at this point then, right? Yeah. And I have, yeah, I have an older buddy. He's like a big brother to me um, named John Johnson. 
aka Edge with the Dreads, and he's like my he's like my master Yoda. And I remember him telling me like early on, like because it was still difficult. It's difficult for a while. You have to make new habits. And he's like, at some point, man, you're gonna get to a point where that's just all you know and nothing. It's just part of your life. You don't even think about it anymore. It's just a thing. And like, it's cool because like I feel like I'm at that point now where it's just part of my lifestyle. And so the prep time and the different kind of shopping and having to read literally everything you buy. And, you know, for me, like my shampoos, my hair products, none of that has animal products or is animal tested either. And, you know, I'm not, I don't rock leather or fur or wool, you know, like I'm just really trying to avoid all those things and make my best effort. And I also recognize that that comes from a place of privilege to be able to choose you know? Oh, that is true. And you know, I hadn't even thought I, of that angle of it before. Cause of course, if there's people in the world that are really wanting for things, you know, even basic stuff like food or, or mm-hmm. I, I didn't even consider wool, dude, you said wool and that all, I was like, Oh, that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I understand that I'm in a modern place where I get to choose and I get to make these economic decisions. And it's kind of like a protest in its own way. My existence and my buying power is protesting the things that I don't agree with. And they raise awareness. Me and you get to have this conversation and maybe somebody will try to do some vegan stuff here and there. All that counts towards something. And I feel like a lot of vegans get, get a bad rep because a lot of them are fucking assholes, to be honest. They're on some holier than thou. I'm doing something good for the planet. I'm doing good, something good for the animals and you're not. So that makes me better than you. That's not the case. Because the fact of the matter is we're all locusts as humans. Yeah, that's a sad truth. And so like you could just make your best efforts and just live like that instead of being in other people's business. And I was like a preachy little straight edge vegan kid when I was younger. And the early VXDEDXV was not so friendly and diplomatic, but I learned some shit. And I don't know. Like I, I feel like now I, put, I keep the X's and V's in my name and I never changed my name because we get to have conversations like this and I get to rep vegan straight edge as something that's not some kind of weird outcast, not some kind of like idiot trying to be better than somebody else, but somebody who's just making their best efforts and wanting to be a solid person for the loved ones around them. That's kind of my whole motto for that. That's very, very admirable. Um, you know, with with me, I had like I grew up in a household where it's like for like my dad's always been a hunter. And so like when I was a kid, you know, I was going out and hunting. But with him, he always taught me this. Like you never like dad's never like endorsed trophy hunting or anything like that. Like he has always been the hunter where if he shoots a deer, it's because he's taking that deer because he's going to use it for meat. And in his mind, you know, he's giving this animal you know, an ethical death and all that. And, and so I was kind of raised on that, that that's what hunting is. Whereas to other people out there, hunting is, you know, guzzling beers and going out with a bunch of people in like a whole group of people and driving deer out and just gunning them down with shotguns and then divvying it all up and stuff. And to them, that's hunting. And for me, I always looked at that, like, that doesn't seem very sporting. Like that's, that's not like my dad going out and, getting up at the ass crack of dawn and sitting in a freezing fucking tree stand for hours on end, not moving in like watching several deer go by and be like, Nope, Nope. That's not the one. That's not the one. 
you know, okay, this one fits the criteria that I would take. And, and I've always had a lot of respect for him that that's the approach that he's done. And more like, as I got older, I really respected that that was the kind of the ethics that, that he put into me. And dude, when you said the thing about, you know, like, like with, with meat and just the, I don't, the factory farming is really, really grotesque and sad. And it's one of those things to where whenever I think about it, it, it does bum me out. The thought that, you know, if I went and got some hamburger from the local meat counter at the grocery store, you know, that cow might have had a horrific existence. I've seen it, man. And I've driven by it. It uh, sucks. It's, I mean, you don't have to tell me about it. I, I live, I live <laughs> in the middle of farm country. <laughs> you know, well, it's Fresno is, is like, is like a very farmy area too. Like all around Fresno. Yeah, the the worst are the commercial hog lots. I mean, because you just smell them from like a mile away, and it's it's like stuffing like two hundred head of hogs like in this tiny little building with these big giant fans on the ends. You know, it's 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 meant to maximize profit, and it's like there's got to be some sort of balance in there where you can feed people and not. Yes have to like treat all these animals so horribly and in the amount of like ag gag laws that are in this country to where if you were to go into some place like that and film all these conditions and then put it on the internet like the government will hold you fucking liable and put you in jail or slap you with fines for doing that because it's like oh you can't you can't shake people's confidence in the food distribution system in this country and it's like well you shouldn't also be putting fucking chickens in cages where they can't move around and injecting them up with so much stuff to where you know their breast meat has gotten so artificially big to where if you stand that chicken up on its own it's going to fucking fall forward like that yeah, sort of stuff fun. is horrifying. And so I, I really, so, really commend you for, for, you know, carrying on a lifestyle like this, where it is this do no harm approach. I think it's very admirable. I appreciate it. And it's, like I said, it's just trying to make my best efforts for, for me. I understand that everybody has their priorities. And I think that the big thing for me when I was 19 and decided this is learning the fact that, I can survive and be healthy and nothing has to die for that, whether it's factory farmed or killed in, in a field or, or humanely picked or whatever they do, they don't actually have to die. And the fact that life is being created to be trapped in and consumed, it kind of fucked me up when I found that out. And I'm not trying to shit on anybody that, that doesn't agree or that doesn't live that lifestyle, but that is, those are the facts that I've found that changed me. And I just try to do my best now, you know, and I made a commitment and I haven't wavered from it, never looked back. And it's, it's always a tough conversation with people because I think they feel like when I state certain facts that I'm looking at them, I can assure anybody listening that I, I don't like that's between you and you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the in, to take it deeper on the government thing, they subsidize a lot of these programs and they have their hands, they own this land and they make money off of this land. So they don't want you exposing that industry because that industry is their, their money or, or their friend's money. And so it's, it's kind of why our food pyramid is so skewed and inaccurate is because 
the government gave that to the schools to teach us to to affect our buying power. And so oh yeah, to us yeah. The food pyramid's schools. a bunch of bullshit. If you actually right. look into and, it, it is a tremendous pile of bullshit. And early VX DEDXV music was about that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the MySpace stuff that's been lost. That I have one friend that used to be a fan, but now he's my friend because anybody who's that enthusiastic about my music, I have to be cool with them. I have to appreciate them. <laughs> my buddy Travis, on, uh, I think he's in New Mexico now. He sends me screenshots of whenever my music is playing on his radio or on his, you know, on his little shuffle his iPod or whatever. And he always sends me the oldest songs that I don't even have. Like, I actually asked him for like certain songs. I'm like, where did you get those? And he's like, oh, I downloaded this one off of MySpace and I got this one from here and I got this one from here. <laughs> this was on a, a compilation CD that these people put out. I was like, holy crap. I don't even remember doing a lot of this. So he's sending me old songs that I don't even remember doing. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, because they're, they're that old. It's like, I think I started putting music out as VXDEDXV in 2006 2005 i had just gone vegan i had a band that had just broken up and i didn't start another i had an, other bands on and off but not really but i was always rapping i was always writing raps always making beats and i didn't my first band was a vegan straight edge band so we could be super political and preachy and mean and all that stuff back in 2004. But once that ended, because the other guys decided they didn't want to be straight edge anymore, and I don't want us <laughs> to be a bunch of hypocrites, so the, yeah, band, no the band broke up. So the band broke up, and I'm like, hey, we all committed to something, and you guys went back on it, so I don't know you guys anymore. That's how it was back then. Um, I just wrote extra political music. So the X's and V's stay in, because that's my it's my history. It's my, my roots. That's Certain certain amounts of those songs and cer certain lines I had are those embarrassing tassels and checkerboard thing around Rocky Raivia's neck. Like <laughs> my version of that. <laughs> Wait, damn, dude, you are a pro at tying it back into wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm just training for PC Dub now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to have to be texting Wayne after this. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's going to listen. <laughs> so he's probably going to be tickled. <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> uh, dude, last year, uh, my family and I took a uh, trip to Colorado. And so I knew that, you know, in mountains and stuff like that. I might be losing signal. So I downloaded a whole bunch of albums onto my phone and both of your VXDED uh albums were on there and so they were in the shuffle on the road trip along with uh steve hudson's album too that is all yeah. excellent fucking driving music dude on on captain recordings really came through the past couple of years i can't <laughs> wait to put out some more yeah yeah dude that and jd garza's album's fucking fantastic too i'm glad you like he just did a, a show uh yesterday and he's actually performing that album in its entirety live right now. Oh, dude, what a treat. That guy's got such a phenomenal voice. So one of our goals, I'm glad you dig him, man. We, we love him. One of our goals uh, has always been to put together a band for him. And because so many of the guys in Farouk were on that album, like it's always been talked about, like, we'll just be your band. 
but gosh, man, to find the time to get to all that has been so tough. Yeah. And so that's really the thing is, when it comes to creative yeah. pursuits, right? Trying to balance oh, yeah. out because it's like, you know, when your creative pursuits are are that, and then you're also got like a, a day job that you're working so you can actually pay bills and live in this fucking capitalistic hellscape. Nope. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the one that I rap about and, and yell about every day. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just, it's like, where's the time left over at the end? And it's, yeah, it's rough, man. And, and that's when you got to carve that time out and just make that shit happen. Yeah. Uh, which is why I'm stoked you called me and I'm stoked we got to have this conversation because these kind of things keep me going, man. People like you keep artists like us going. And I appreciate it so much. And, and like, yeah, putting that out there and wanting to play for JD. But right now he has a backing track with his, his lead vocal and his lead guitar is taken out. And he performs and just plays the guitar with the backing track. And it's super cool. Oh, excellent. Like to watch and fun and, I'm writing new music with him, so that's exciting, too. So while the Farouk thing is getting recorded, I'm creating new music for JD. And I've actually texted uh, Steve Hudson today asking um, how many of his songs I could sample for my new album. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's been my latest thing I've been doing when I make a beat is going to The Gentleman and sampling it. Because I have a lot of the the raw tracks for those songs, so I'm able to sample so much. Like I've made three beats just off of "I Miss Your Smile," and all three of the beats sound way different than one than the other. I fucking love every single song on that EP. It Me is too. so it's, good. I I have so many good memories with working on that and. There was a, a road trip that Javi and myself took to San Francisco to, to do some last minute stuff for his mom. So we drove on a whim to, to SF like at, I think like 7.30, 8 p.m. His mom was like, hey, I need this stuff from San Francisco. How soon can you go there? And we just went. San Francisco is about four hours away from Fresno, by the way. That's so, all. Yeah. So we hopped in and just went because when mom calls, you do it. That's the rules. And I wasn't about to let Javi drive there by himself. So I'm like, all right, looks like we're going. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you're not going to go by yourself, man. It was a quick turnaround. But we were actually listening to Steve's music on the way down and talking about it because he was helping me um, do the uh, mastering for it. And we got to listen to, what was the new one? He was, um, Goodbye, the last song on the, on the album. He had just sent me that and we were listening to it and like both of us were just catching the feels and I was like, dude, I've already cried listening to this. So if you cry, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like that album is so good. And so I think the next thing I want to do with his blessing, of course, is my next album is just going to be nothing of beats, nothing but beats from which I sampled his music and the whole thing would just be a whole concept on that. That's awesome. I, I, as long as I get his okay for it, you know, which he's not, he's not a jerk about stuff like that. He's super cool. And I've, I've sent him the progress on a lot of that. And he's been so encouraging. That guy is just, I don't know if you've ever collaborated with anybody that's kind of like a momentum killer or a dream killer. He's the opposite of that. Oh yes. Hudson is the absolute opposite of a dream killer. Like that is somebody that you want 
on your side because yeah and that's one of the reasons i love listening to the heroes of noise so much is just because steve has got such a this this beautiful positive upbeat personality that is you know it's it's rare it's rare and it's to be treasured when you find a human being like that yeah absolutely and his feedback just means that much more because you know it's coming from a real place so when he does have a criticism or we did uh, does have some feedback, I take it so seriously because you know that it's from a genuine place and he means that he's not trying to tear nobody down. And I just I dig that about him and it's so cool to send my music to him and see his his reactions and stuff. And like I, I'm really now that this Farouk album is starting to get tracked literally as we speak, which is so dope. I keep going back to it. <laughs> Like, that's such a big weight off my shoulders. Like, me, I still have to go record the vocals, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm excited about that part. Like, I've been practicing for it. I know exactly what I'm going to do for every song. All the lyrics are memorized. Like, it's ready to go. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, we're, we're stoked. So, I mean, that's not even anything I need to focus any creative energy on. So now I'm kind of like... I guess I should start pre-planning the music videos and getting those written. Um, but I want to do this rap stuff with S dot. I have some remixes of JD songs that I did that I want to put out, but I, I haven't gotten the final recordings of those yet. There's just so many things that like <laughs> I have my hands on that I just want to put out. And it's cool to get to talk to you about them because now my checklist will get that much further. Oh, speaking of big shows, I have to DJ a set for my cousin too in august this is crazy so there's a motorcycle club out here in the central valley called la raza and they're an all chicano motorcycle club and they run they do uh like charity events and concerts and stuff like that and their 10-year anniversary is in august at this nice size venue and my cousin actually they uh commissioned him and I to do a theme for their motorcycle club. And so we wrote a song about their club, like on their behalf. And we got to present it to him a couple weeks ago. They loved it. And so we're finishing that up, but he also gets to perform a set at this giant show that has like all these awesome artists on it. And of course, because I'm his producer and co-writer, I have to be the DJ that's doing the songs back and forth. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so I had to pull my digital DJs out and we're going to be rehearsing for that until August. It's a big, big, big deal. We got a lot, but that's the rock man. That's not VXDEDXV or Daniel from Farouk. I know. And what's <laughs> funny is when I was going over all the names I, I threw out for you at the beginning of the show, I, I left the rock man out. And like now I'm kicking myself because leading up to this show, I was like, I knew I should have fucking written all of them down on post-its. <laughs> no, dude, nobody should have to deal with this. <laughs> I'm sorry that you felt like you had to deal with it. No, man. your producing like, works good, though, dude. That stuff you do under Rockman's fucking dope. I appreciate that. He makes all of VXDEDXV's beats. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's good stuff. I was happy to see you win that one contest for it, too, because all those beats that you put was, out for it were great. That was super nice, and that was seriously a popularity contest, and I felt the love because there were some other producers on there that were great that could have definitely won, but I have so many like really cool friends that are so nice and supportive, 
and they were crazy. Like they were like, no, you're winning this. And a couple of them <laughs> found out that you could vote more than once. So they went nuts. What? Yeah. I didn't find that. I didn't know about that. Shit. I'd have yeah, been voting more than it, once. <laughs> leave it up to some of my friends and family and supporters to to figure that out. And I didn't I didn't know. And one of my buddies was like, Hey, I think you could vote more than once. How much how many times should I vote? And I'm like, Hey man, I think you thank you for all the time. You're you're good, man. Like I appreciate you taking one vote. You know? And then I got a message like twenty minutes later, like, All right, I voted as many times as I could um in the last fifteen minutes. And I was like, What the fuck, dude? <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> that is something I would never ask of anybody, <laughs> but I appreciate it greatly. Well, that's probably why people would be so willing to do it for you, you know, because you you wouldn't you wouldn't be the one to go out and ask for it. But it's like you're a good enough guy to where it's like, oh, I'd happily do this for Daniel. Happily, I'm so grateful. I'm so so grateful for your support. The fact that like Farouk was in your top listens on Spotify was so cool. Multiple songs. <laughs> so it was all heat, right? Mostly heat, yeah. I'm just fucking in love with that album, dude. Fucking end to end. I love that album. I'm so proud of that album. And it's it's a bummer for the faction because like the faction came out literally the year before and we put a lot into that and it was like three years in the making. But it's just the process that went into the faction versus the process that went into heat are so different. And the songs are so like, I'm so proud of a lot of those songs. And it's, it's a bummer because Heat is the one and I'm, but it's no disrespect to the faction, but he, I'm just so much, I'm so proud of it. And the fact that we were able to do that in studio, we had to do the faction at home. We actually recorded all that stuff ourselves for the faction. No shit. Yeah, I recorded those vocals myself in my living room at the time. Uh, like, I did those on my own. Like, I would hit record, stand up, go to the, the little area where I'm recording, yell, 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 stop, <laughs> go sit down, hit stop, go back and do it again over and over. And then we outsourced the engineer that recorded, mixed, and mastered Heat. He did the mixing and mastering for the faction, but he didn't record it. We recorded it ourselves, so he had to deal with our recording and make it as good as he could. Well, the faction Which, definitely sounds good. Yeah, he did great. I'm, I'm and, like, and, when you said you recorded in your living room, I'm fucking amazed. Yeah, the, the drums, uh, our guitarist did those digitally. He used a drum program, and he took the drum parts our drummer wrote and created a digital version of them which was so painstakingly time-consuming, but Phil Camacho was a genius. And he recorded the guitars himself and sent them to me, and I recorded our bass player's parts. I had him play those parts, and I, I did the actual re physical recording of it while he played, and I recorded the vocals by myself. So for, for what we had to do, Zach at shark bite really made it as good as possible. Cause we also did our first album, the truth. We did that one ourselves too. A hundred percent. We did all of that ourselves back in 2013, I think, but I don't know how much play the truth got from you because we're a, such a different band from then to heat. <laughs> 
I'll have to do some digging for it. I know I've definitely listened to a bunch of the faction, but yeah, dude, Heat Heat is one of like my fucking darling albums. Like I go back to that thing so often. We're so proud of it, and we're so glad it's had the staying power. You know, because it's 2022 now. So I was we're on, due for a new one. When I was on that Colorado trip, I was in a gas station somewhere, and there was a dude in there wearing like a Slipknot shirt. And I was like, you like heavy music? And he's like, fucking love it. I was like, have you ever heard of Farouk? And he's like, who's that? And so I was talking <laughs> you guys up to them, like, look up their Heat album. It's fucking epic. <laughs> and so I'd like Thank to think you, that that I, I turned a fan for you in, in uh, Estes Park. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And that, that stuff comes back to us. It's crazy. Like the new drummer we're trying out next month, he was – he mentioned – like an old song of ours from our first album. And he was like, oh, if I could play this song with you guys. I'm like, how do you know that song? And he was like, I used to play Call of Duty with your old guitar player. He put me on to you guys, and I've been listening to you guys since. And I was like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. And now he's going to be our drummer, hopefully, if everything works out. It should. He's a great dude and a hell of a drummer. So everything should line up for that. As soon as we get that, it's off to the races, man. It's It's on. <laughs> yes <laughs> i can't wait it, okay so dude I, I know you got a studio you got to get to and i don't want to hold you up any longer i i've absolutely appreciate you taking the time out to come on the show again it's always such a treat to talk to you and, and i already can't wait for the next time dude dude it's been a wild adventure i hope i we got to all your questions i'm sorry i, I derailed you so many times no that's that's literally the name of the game with this podcast <laughs> <laughs> You were my first conversation after logging out of work, so I was just so happy to not have to talk about work. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can feel that. <laughs> so please pl- plug anything you want to plug. Oh, dude, uh, listen to my next appearance on PCW um, with Wayne, <laughs> where we argue about Cody Rhodes. <laughs> I'm joking. Or maybe I'm not. Uh, <laughs> Let's see, uh, Instagram users, you got at VXVEDXV, at The Rockman, and at Farouk Mosh. Uh, I'm sure Joe will put that in the uh, descriptions because he's the best. You got it. Uh, TikTok users, at Rockman got him for the real stupid content whenever I decide to post that. There's remixes and stuff on there. Um, we didn't get to talk about TikTok, but I'm on that way too much. <laughs> And my wife and has to, it, and she's on it all the time. And I steadfastly refuse to put the app on my phone. Dude, don't, but do it. Yeah, for sure, do it, but don't. <laughs> so the cool thing about TikTok is you'll hear previews of Farouk songs on on TikTok on my TikTok. God, don't fucking tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, our Instagram. Uh, I I don't know. I I kind of got off Facebook for a while when it came to stuff because. You kind of have to pay for any kind of promo usually on Facebook when you're a band page, but we have some really cool supporters and fans on and friends on Facebook. So I feel like every other time we post something, we get a lot more reactions than I'd expect. And usually bands have to pay for that kind of stuff. So it's really nice. But, you know, the band is on all the social networking. Um, shoot, I don't have anything do to come out so follow those social networking if you're interested in any of it if it pertains to the hip-hop rap stuff it's going to be on vxdedxv if it pertains to farouk it'll be on farouk and for anything in between and the real 
interesting fun behind the scenes stuff that usually goes on the Rockman page um, because that is like the the utility face of my production that is behind everything I do so uh, please go to on Captain Recordings uh, Facebook and keep up with them because they are my partners in crime and they are the team that is responsible for VXD, EDXV, SE Hudson, and JD Garza's music hitting the streaming platforms. And also, like, Javi from On Captain is helping with the Farouk record right now. So I want to let the StartCat listeners know that you need to stay on StartCast and continue to hit the tangents with him, and I'll be back as soon as he wants to have me. <laughs> He's going to be a wrestling fan the next time we talk. <laughs> That's a tall order, my friend. I'll definitely have you on again. I promise I'm going to be a wrestling fan at that point. <laughs> Dude, um, I'm down to be on again tomorrow. Did, I, did you miss? Did you skip any questions? Uh, no, I Really, the only ones going in was this time. I was like, you got to bring up the, the straight edge and and vegan stuff with him. Because I was like really kicking myself. I was like. It's literally in his name. How did you not bring that up? Because <laughs> it gets super serious. <laughs> uh, dude, I've had the best time talking with you. I always love talking with you. Um, thank you all very much for listening. Until next time, this has been StartCast. <laughs>